Amen. Thank you so much, Joanna. Um, well, welcome, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm the vicar here. I've been here as the vicar for just over four years now. And we are in the third part of our series on giving and generosity. Um, to accompany this series, we've produced a booklet. Well, when I say we, Luke has produced a booklet. Um, if you haven't had that yet, do you want to just raise a hand and a member of the church council will come round and give you it. So there's quite a few over here, Dom. Um, there's some at the back. If you haven't had one of the giving booklets, please do raise a hand. Keep it up until Dom gets to you. Margaret's going to run around as well. Um, so I'm just here, Margaret. Fantastic. Um, you will need them and the pledge form that's in the middle of them, but I'll explain a little bit more about that as we go along. So we are in Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verses 41 to 44. Mark 12, 41 to 44. So this is Jesus observing people give in the temple. And we're going to understand a little bit of Jesus's heart when it comes to generosity through these verses. So Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the people as they put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in very large amounts, but then a poor widow came and put in only two small copper coins worth only a few pennies. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. So, church, imagine yourself as one of Jesus' disciples. You're in the middle of a bustling crowd in the temple and you're observing the scene of generosity as lots of wealthy people come forward to give to the work of the temple. Now, this would happen fairly regularly and the atmosphere would be charged as the wealthy people came forward to give. The clinking of the coins into the offering plate, the rustle of expensive garments. Everyone was looking around seeing who was giving what. And amidst, the, in the middle of all of this, of all of these wealthy people in all of their fancy clothes, your gaze is drawn to a figure who in stark contrast to the richness of these other people, this figure is a poor widow. She's wearing worn out clothing and she's almost invisible amongst the splendour of everybody else. And as she approaches the offering plate, she pulls out two very small coins, a modest offering which pales into insignificance compared to what everybody else has been putting in. Now, your reaction, shared by basically everybody else in the crowd, is one of subtle disgust dismissiveness. As we learned last week, as Brogan was speaking, in that society, God's value upon your life, the pleasure that God looked at you with, was associated with how much money you had. And so her small, inconsequential offering seemed out of place, even rude. Now you exchange disapproving looks with the rest of the disciples you wonder why she's even bothering to participate in giving when her offering seems 
so meager. And then as one of the disciples, you find yourself feeling a little bit of a sense of superiority. Perhaps you gave more than just a couple of coins that day. And you think that her offering isn't even worthy of acknowledgement. And just then, Jesus begins to speak. And as he speaks, something begins to shift in your heart. He points to the widow and says that she gave more than everybody else combined. And you're taken aback. You have to reconsider all of the things that have been going through your head and through your heart. And in that one moment, your preconceived ideas about generosity and wealth are completely challenged. Jesus is urging you to recognise that true giving goes beyond the material size of the gift. Now, if you were one of the disciples with Jesus, this moment in the temple would leave you with a lingering question. What does it truly mean to give? What does it mean to be truly generous? Now, what we're going to see as we go through these verses today is this, that true generosity lies not in gold, not in coins, not in wealth. True generosity lies not in gold, but in surrendered hearts. True generosity lies in surrendered hearts. In fact, not does only true generosity lie in surrendered hearts, but is having surrendered hearts is the only way to find our true worth. Worth does not come from stuff. Worth does not come from relationships or money. It does not come from anything that you may be longing for or desire that is not Jesus. True worth only comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he says over your life. True worth only comes by being defined by Jesus's generosity towards us. Now we face a significant wealth and money problem in modern culture. Our obsession with celebrity is evident, isn't it? Just as it was actually for the disciples in their first day, you know, obsessed by all of the people that were bringing lots of money, wearing the fancy clothes, all of that kind of thing. Um, we're obsessed with celebrity. And if you go on social media and you look at celebrities that do paid, you know, paid ads or just flood our social media feeds with stuff, um, they often portray an unobtainable lifestyle filled with luxury that most of us could just never obtain. And this continuous exposure to, um, fosters an aspirational desire for material wealth. And it leads us, if we're not careful, to pursue those things relentlessly. And yet it always remains out of reach. Advertisements frequently emphasise the connection between happiness, success and the possession of material goods. Products aren't just marketed for their usefulness but for the status and prestige they confer upon us, the consumer. So, you know, when you're watching those adverts, it's not really about how useful the product is. It's about how good it will make you look or the happiness and the joy that it will bring to your life if you can just get hold of that product. The problem, though, in a culture that, where people are desperate to acquire stuff and wealth, for most people, these things are just not an option. According to the Credit Suisse's Global Wealth Report, this is in 2021, so this may have got even worse since then, the top 1% of the world's population own 43% of global wealth. 
1% of the world's population own 43% of the total global wealth. The World Bank recently reported that approximately 9.2% of the world's population live in extreme poverty. That's one in, nearly one in every 10 human beings live in extreme poverty. Wealth distribution varies significantly by region. So the global rich list estimates that if you have an income of £25,000 or more, you are in the top 1% of earners globally. That is less than the average salary in the UK. £7,000 a year, an average income of £7,000 a year is sufficient to be in the top 10% of global earners. According to the Office of, Office of National Statistics here in the UK, 10% of households in the UK have half of the UK's wealth. 14 and a half million people in the UK are living in poverty, including over four and a half million children. Now that should tell us that perhaps culturally we've got it wrong when it comes to thinking about generosity and wealth and giving and all of those kinds of things. We need Jesus to transform not just our hearts, but the hearts of our entire culture. The question is how? How is Jesus going to transform our hearts? Well, in our culture's narrative, it's all about self-transformation. You know, we get to craft our own narrative. You can sculpt your own fate. You can transform yourself even. But in the divine story that's told in the scriptures, the call to transformation is something much deeper. The call to transformation is this. Lay down your life, your wants, your desires, your preferences, lay them all down and embrace surrender. Let God's transformation weave a new transformed life in you. And you can't do it yourself. Have you ever noticed that the things that you really long for and desire for, when you get them, they don't actually make you any happier? The only thing that can make us truly happy is Jesus, is the presence of God. He is enough. Now, when we're talking about money, I actually find discussing um, money actually quite uplifting in a strange kind of way. And it seems Jesus does too. As I said two weeks ago when I kicked off this series, Jesus talks about money more than anything else. And the reason that I think he does that is because the essence of the gospel lies in giving. Think about John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave. The essence of the gospel lies in giving. Our faith in God comes from a belief that God has bestowed everything upon us for our freedom. If we truly believe the gospel, we lack nothing, absolutely nothing. If we truly believe the gospel, we lack nothing because God has bestowed on us everything for our freedom, granting us the freedom to love, experience peace and practice generosity. Now, the Bible talks about money nearly a thousand times, money, giving, wealth. Jesus addresses it nearly more than any other topic. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, I think deep down culture knows that we've got a problem with generosity and wealth. Jim Carrey once shared, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of 
so that they can see that it is not the answer. Accumulating wealth isn't the solution. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, life does not consist in an, in an abundance of possessions. Instead, I think the gospel says that life finds its essence in the act of giving. Now, generosity stood out as a hallmark of the early church. Julian, who was a Roman emperor, grappled with shutting down the church. He really wanted to, you know, shut down all of these Christians that were wreaking what he perceived as havoc in Roman society. And the primary source of his frustration, um, he, he wanted to find out why he was so frustrated with these Christians. And so he got somebody that he worked for to, to you know, go and go and find out what it was about these Christians that meant they kept on growing and multiplying and why they couldn't shut them down. And um, the answer came back in a letter to Julian that the reason that the church could not be shut down was this. These impious Galileans, that was the derogatory word for Christians, these impious Galileans feed not only their own poor, but they feed ours as well. Wouldn't it be great if the church in the northeast if we were known for that. They feed not only their own poor, but they feed ours as well. Now, Jesus' teaching on giving and money aren't just for history. They aren't just to be contained in scriptures. They're supposed to transform us and inspire us today. We're called to mirror the generosity of the God who gave everything for us. And one of the reasons that we're talking about this um, is because we believe that giving is a discipleship issue. As has been said a number of times over the past few weeks, and when Jesus was talking about spiritual disciplines in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say, if you pray, if you fast, if you give. When he was talking to the disciples about living a transformed life, he said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. So as we Explore briefly these verses in Mark 12. The pressing question I think for us is this. How can God transform us through the spiritual discipline of generosity? How can God take our hearts and transform them? And regardless of life stage that we're at, I've, um, some parents have been in touch with me this week to say that their children have been filling in pledge forms, which is beautiful, isn't it? Regardless of the life stage that we're at, how can each of us partake in the practice of giving. Now, as we reflect on these verses, you may think, well, my prayer is this, how can I be more like this widow in Mark chapter 12? How can I give everything that I am and not hold anything of myself or my stuff back for myself? So turn back to Mark 12, 41 to 44. Here we encounter this well-known story of the widow and her coins. Now, just before Jesus um, is in the temple um, with his disciples watching this giving unfold, he's just launched, as he often does, a sharp critique of religion. Uh, one of the things that Jesus loves to do is, is uh, critique the spirit of religion and all of that stuff. As you know, if you read the Gospels, he's, all he's always doing that. And he's been critiquing religious leaders who do things merely for public admiration, like giving to showcase their righteousness. Lord, may we be protected from that 
in our day, we pray. Now, to drive this point home, Jesus turns to this example of a poor widow um, and he gives his disciples and therefore us a window on generosity. So look at verse 41. Jesus is taking a seat across from the place where the, temp- where the offerings are placed in the temple and he's observing what people are giving. And numerous affluent individuals, as we've already lo- looked at, are uh, tossing in substantial amounts of money. Now, this was done primarily to impress other people. Look how wealthy I am. Look how generous I am. Look how much I'm giving to the work of God. It seems impressive, doesn't it? The thing is, Jesus is not impressed. I imagine the disciples were all struck at this. You know, remember, most of them would have spent their time going to um, much more simple synagogues. And here they are in the temple and all of these wealthy people from the capital are throwing in these obscene amounts of money. Well, if they were impressed with this, they seem to have missed out on all of Jesus' teaching on generosity throughout the rest of his ministry. Now, if you've got a Bible open with you, turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me and have a look at verse 1. Be careful, Jesus says, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward in full. Now, just as we read those verses, have you ever thought that it's a bit of an odd expression, do not announce your giving with trumpets? You know, it's not like whenever we, you know, when, when you scan the QR code here or you give via the cash machine at the back or, you know, you put in your offering um, in cash in the, in the cash box at the back, you get out a trumpet and announce it to everybody that you've been giving. Well, no, the offering boxes in the temple, the thing that people actually put their money into were trumpet shaped. And so when you put in your coins, they made a noise and it sounded a little bit like a trumpet because these things were trumpet shaped. And so, you know, when you, when you put in your coin, it would make a noise. And people used to like to sit by the offering boxes and measure the amount of noise that was going on in these trumpets. So if you're there and the offering box is here and you're one of these rich people, what you'd do is, even if you weren't putting in that much, you'd gather as many coins as possible and you would take a very long time and you would... It's impressive, isn't it? Look at all the money that I'm putting in the temple treasury. In fact, I'm going to go and get some more. Isn't this impressive, Keith? Look look how much money I'm giving to the temple today. And people would just stand there and listen to the the trumpets going off in the temple. And they'd think, wow, that person is so generous. Jesus says, do not be... Thanks, Keith. (laughs) Exactly like that. Jesus says, do not be like that. If you do that, if that's the way in which you give, then you are being a hypocrite. You're just giving to impress others or to gain favour with people or maybe even God. That is not true generosity. Jesus is more interested in motivation. Leonard Ravenhill once said this in a talk on, on giving. God isn't just interested in what you give, but why you give it. 
God isn't interested in what you give, but why you give it. And this is why Jesus can say, even though humanly it makes no sense, that this widow gave more than everybody else combined. Now, how do we give without falling into hypocrisy? Well, turn to verse 42. We meet this widow. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pennies. Now, this woman, a widow, um, she would have had very minimal legal standing at all in her society. She would have had no one to provide for her, no husband to provide for her. She may have even lacked a home of her own. And she comes in the midst of all of these wealthy people giving their money, she comes and puts in two very small copper coins. Now, in today's currency, these coins, the Greek word is the word lepton. Um, In today's currency, they would have been worth less than one fortieth of a penny each. So this woman is bringing in one twentieth of a pence as her offering. Now, as I've already said, the onlookers may have looked at this and thought, gosh, why is this woman so tight? What on earth is wrong with her? Her her contribution certainly didn't make the trumpet sound like everybody else's did. But here's when the perspective shift comes, verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this woman has put more into the treasury than all of the others. And Jesus basically gives a little team talk, a little huddle to his disciples here. He gathers them all together and says, pay attention, everyone. I'm telling you, this woman's given more than everybody. Now, how on earth can this be? How can one twentieth of a penny be worth more than the thousands, tens of thousands? I don't know how much was given. How can it be worth more than all of that other stuff combined? Well, verse 44 gives us the answer. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave all she had to live on. She gave more because she gave everything. Now, as I've shared a couple of times over this series, I first started to learn to give regularly when I was a university student. Really want us to um, get what we've been trying to say in this series, which is it's not the amount that we give that's significant. It's the heart behind it. Um, And everybody can learn to give. Um, sometimes it's appropriate to give lots, sometimes it isn't. We all have different financial circumstances. There's sometimes reasons why we shouldn't be giving. But it's not about the money, it's about our heart. True, one of my previous vicars um, in Sheffield used to say this, it's only generosity if you feel it. And isn't that true in everything, not just financial giving, but it's true in our relationships. We can only really be truly generous in our relationship if it costs us something. Friendships can be difficult because they cost us time. They cost us, all, they cost us all kinds of things. But it's only truly generous relationship and generous friendship if it actually costs us something. If it doesn't cost us anything, then it, what we articulating about its worth. It's we're only being generous if we actually feel it. Now this is the reason why Jesus addresses giving and finances as much as he does. Because as we've said, when he's talking about these things, he's not actually talking about money. And I mean, he is talking about money and wealth, but he's actually talking about the state of our hearts. And if that's the case, what do we learn about the state of this widow's heart in Mark chapter 12? Well, she's given everything that she has 
Her heart has been shaped and characterized, I'd say even gripped by generosity. The widow's generosity actually reflects the generosity of Jesus himself in an unparalleled act of generosity. Jesus relinquished everything. This is Philippians 2. He descended from heaven, took the form of a human, and died for you a criminal's death, even death on a cross. His entire life was given for our freedom. The question then for us as people that have benefited from that is what do we give in return? Now I'm going to read a quote from a commentary that I was reading in the week. I've read this a number of times. I think I've actually quoted it here before, maybe in reference to another passage. Um, And receive this with grace. I just find it challenging. And so I'm going to read it to all of us. For many of us in the West, it is a real question if ever our giving to God's work is any sacrifice at all. Few people will do without their pleasures to give a little more to the work of God. It may well be a sign of the decadence of the church and the failure of our Christianity that gifts have to be coaxed out of Christians and that often they will not give at all unless they get something back in the way of entertainment or goods. It's challenging, isn't it? Now, when I read this story in Mark chapter 12, I'm, I'm asking myself, in what way is my giving generous? In what ways do I resemble this widow? But here's the thing, it's no good me trying to model myself on this widow. It will not work. You may know somebody who's really generous in your life, who just gives all of their time. They spend ages looking after you or your family, or you know, you know that they're always there for you if you need them. They're never going to let you down. You, you may have people like that in your life. And you may think, well, gosh, I just wish that I could be a little bit more like them. The thing is, trying to model yourself on those people will not work. The only way in which we can be transformed is by having our hearts transformed by the gospel and giving not in order to be like somebody else or to earn somebody else's love or affirmation or any of those things, but just to have a heart transformed that therefore gives back in response to God's love, not in order, not in order to earn it, but just as a response of praise and worship and admiration. C.S. Lewis said, the only things that we can keep are the things we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves, you can be sure that is what we will lose. So as I say, the antidote to this challenge, the challenge of meeting this widow in Mark chapter 12, is not a prescriptive guide on giving. The answer is not for me I mean, this would be very wrong, but for me to say, you know, Derek, you need to give this amount. Diane, you need to give this amount. That, that, that won't work at all. Um, in fact, the answer at all isn't for anybody to ask anybody for, for money. Um, the only ways in which our hearts can be transformed around, the, around this whole thing of generosity is simply to remember the gospel. Jesus surrendered everything for us. And when that really sinks in, our response naturally becomes heaven-bent. We lean towards the culture and kingdom of heaven. 
and we give our lives a surrender in return. Now, I've learned, as I've been following Jesus for a few years now, that when the grace, life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, when the life of Jesus defines us, money loses its grip. In fact, anything, loses it, anything else loses its grip when our hearts are truly transformed by the gospel. Our pursuit of things that we think are going to make us happy or define us. Our pursuit of... The pursuit even of our dreams, most of which are godly and they're, in their, you know, they're given to us for a good reason. But it's only Jesus that can truly fulfill us. It's only his presence. It's only the gospel that can transform our hearts. And when we understand that, generosity becomes a natural overflow. And not just generosity with our money, but everything, our time, our homes, our resources, our words, the words that we speak over other people, as we were thinking about two weeks ago, it takes time, doesn't it, sometimes to encourage people. Don't know how many of us responded to the challenge to encourage somebody different every single day or to write a handwritten letter just to speak life over somebody. That takes time. It's an act of generosity. But when we really are gripped by the gospel, generosity becomes a natural overflow. Now, in just a moment, we're going to sing the hymn When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And it speaks of the amazing work that Jesus did for us on the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, we see Jesus, we, we, we speak, sing, don't we? We've seen Jesus' hands and his feet nailed to that cross for us. We sing of the amazing love that was displayed in that moment. But the last verse of that hymn is about our response to that. And it goes like this, we're the whole realm of nature mine. In other words, if, even if we owned everything in all of creation, we're the whole realm of nature mine. Even that would be an offering far too small. So even if we were to bring that and lay it at the feet of Jesus, even that would be an offering far too small compared to what Jesus has given to us. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life my all. What can we offer? What can we possibly even begin to offer to the one who gave everything for us? Well, how about everything? We give everything back to him. Now, here's the thing that I really want us to just, just end on as we think about this. How did Jesus gain glory. What's one of the ways in which Paul says that that happens in the New Testament? By emptying himself for us. In another place, in, 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 this is in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. So in contrast to other religions and other worldviews that advocate and say, you know, we must come to God with good deeds and we must come to God with money and we must give this amount and we must give that amount and all of this stuff. Actually, the gospel says that we approach God empty-handed with an inability to earn his grace or to earn his love. And we become spiritually rich by accepting that Jesus even though we do not deserve it, became poor for us. 
And he provides us with true riches, true generosity that pale into absolute insignificance. The, everything else pales into absolute insignificance compared to what Jesus did for us. True freedom, true generosity is only available through Jesus. So we're going to take a moment to reflect on this. And I'd love us to reflect on our motivation. Why is it that we give? Why is it that we're generous? Not just with money, but with everything. To reflect on how we give or why we give. And how are we like this widow that we encounter in Mark chapter 12? And how is the Holy Spirit calling us to radical surrender today?